No one wants to be the guy that, that follows the legend, right? No one wants to be that guy. By the way, uh, that was a good song service, uh, Barry. I really enjoyed uh, that selection. Um, you go somewhere uh, and you realize, uh, probably a lot of you have done this, maybe not, uh, you realize that the last guy that, that was there, whatever your job or whatever your, your thing, you realize that he is perfect or was perfect, at least while he was there. Um, and, and there have been times where I've witnessed this from afar, uh, and you know you, you just kind of see how other people respond to, to new people and situations. And, and I really haven't, I, I haven't really experienced that personally. I know that when we went over to the Ukraine, uh, I was really there starting the work from the ground up, so I was kind of fortunate not to have a you know a, a prior example. Uh, and I suppose that, uh, you know, for, for the guys that are there now uh, who took over after we left, you know, it, it's probably pretty good news for them since, you know, they don't have anywhere to go except up, you know, uh, comparatively speaking. So, um, but uh, let me just ask you a question. How many of you got, I guess, know a name, George Selkirk? He's a baseball player, and I know, I know, just, just, just bear with me. I know it's a sports illustration, uh, and I, I try to, you know, limit those in sermons. But just bear with me. How many of you know who George Selkirk was? You, someone's going. You don't know. Uh, okay. I thought you of all people would know. Okay, it's a baseball thing. I thought you would know. Uh, so, uh, well, let's see. Let's. I'll give you a little bit about George Selkirk. It's kind of surprising that, that that we don't know who he was. I mean, the guy won five. World Series titles. I mean, he was good. Uh, he was a he was an outfielder, um, and uh, he is considered. And I don't know exactly how many Canadian-born uh, baseball players there are, but he's considered to be the best. He's in the Canadian Hall of Fame, uh, anyway. And uh, he's just he's a he's, he was a really good player. Now, there's an interesting thing about George Selkirk. He had a nickname. Um, you know, great players get nicknames, right? Great players. You, you, you get a nickname, or, or they'll just your name, your last name becomes a, a, a nickname. You know, if you're really good. Um, and uh, he had a, a weird way of running uh, the bases when he'd run, and so he got the nickname Twinkle Toes. That was that was his great name. So why would you take a, a great great player and, and give him kind of a nickname that you know that, that kind of sounds you know. I mean, that, that's not a type of nickname to give a, a great player. Why would you give somebody that kind of a nickname? You know, that's kind of drug. Well, it probably has to do, my guess, it has to do with the man that he played after, the man that he replaced. Um, the man who he replaced ha- had actually a bunch of nicknames. Uh, you might recognize some of these, even if you're not a baseball fan, you would probably recognize names like Bambino, uh, the Sultan of Swat, the King of Clout, right? The Babe. George Selkirk played outfield for the Yankees, but he had the audacity to take over George Herman Babe Ruth's position in the outfield. That was, that was just, that was not going to be acceptable. Well, let me tell you what else. Uh, I wonder if during the 1935 offseason, uh, when he was getting ready to take over, 
1936. I mean, he played some. Uh, he was he was starting to take over the position in 1935 while Babe Ruth was still on the team. Uh, that probably offended somebody. But but during that that year when when Babe Ruth retired, I wonder if he read the text that we're going to read today, because he did something that that I think really irked people, and this is probably why he never got his due. He actually had the audacity to wear number three. That was George Herman Babe Ruth's number. He had the audacity to think that he was going to replace the babe, the bambino. How dare he? So he got twinkle toes. Well, we're going to to read a a passage in 2 Kings chapter 2. Verse 1 through 18, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 through 18, it says, It came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into the heavens by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take away your master from you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. And Elisha said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord is going to take away your master from you today? And he said, shut up. <laughs> I know. And Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and my soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. And while the two of them stood by the Jordan, now Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that way. So the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what can I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit fall upon me. And he said, Well, you've asked a very difficult thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it will not be so. And it happened as they continued on and talked that the chariot of fire appeared with houses, or horses, excuse me, of fire. And separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a tornado into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and its horsemen, and so he saw him no more. And he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he also took up the mantle at Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water. And he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground in front of him. And they said to him, Look, there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please go and search for your master. Maybe the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and thrown him down on the mountain into some valley. And he said, You don't need to send anybody. But they urged him until he felt embarrassed. And he said, send them then. And therefore they sent 50 men and they searched for three days and did not find him. And when they came back to him, for they had stayed in Jericho, he said, 
Didn't I tell you not to go? Elijah is just begging for the comparison, isn't he? Isn't he just begging for a comparison? I mean, Elijah, think of Elijah, and you think of the contest on Mount Carmel, and you you think of the greats. Who's going to go and say, you know what? I'm going to ask to be double of what you were, or who you were, or what you did, and I want to be double that. Now, that's great. Most of us, when we we say, you know, uh, when we look at someone great, and, and we aspire to, to follow in their footsteps and, and things like We say, man, if only I could be half of the man that he was, I'd be a great man. No, no, no one ever goes, you know, if I could only be twice the man that he is, I'd be great. We, we look at that we say, there's a guy that, that, that reached this level and there's no way I'm ever going to be like him. I, I just want to be half of what he was. But Elisha didn't, Elisha didn't approach things like that. He approached things like George Selkirk. He's like, you know what? I'm not only taking over his spot, but I'm going to wear the same number. I think I'm good enough to wear his number. Okay, twinkle toes. All right. Okay, twinkle toes. And, and look at, if we, if we look down into verse 23, all right, you look down into verse 23, it says, he went up from Bethel as he was going up the road. Some youths came from the city and mocked him and said, Go up, Baldy. Go up, Baldy. And some bears came out and devoured him. There's about 42 young, young men. By the way, uh, just as an aside, just as, as you know, if, when we read this this week, and you, and you look at that, you say, Well, that wasn't nice to do to a bunch of little kids. Um, just, just so you understand that these weren't little kids, the word youths, uh, in, if you follow it in your Bible, it's used to describe men up to 40 years old. It, it describes Joseph when he was in prison. It describes, uh, it, it describes a bunch of men at varying ages, teenagers, whatever. Now, we know that 42 of them were killed. I don't know, so I don't know that uh, all of them got killed, but a good bunch of them. So, so who knows how many have escaped and who knows? You know, one of the things I know is that when a bunch of bad young men get together, things tend to get out of control. <laughs> I don't think these were like, you know, 10-year-old kids who, who's called them baldy. My, my guess is that things were starting to escalate here. Uh, and, and that's just kind of how things work in a mob. You know, they, as I said, they weren't young kids. Uh, the reason I know that is because when I was a young kid, uh, I didn't even get to cross the street. You know, it was, it was, I didn't get to cross the street. These guys have been left to go out of town to see Elisha. Now, they're out of town. So they weren't little kids. These were, these were men. That's just an aside. Hey, Baldy, who do you think you are? You think you're Elijah? Why don't you go up then? Why don't you do what he did? He did all the amazing things. You know, what an enviable thing to be Elisha, to, to see one of the greatest events in the, in the history of great things. I mean, this passed the rate top five anyway. I mean, if you saw the transfiguration or, or you were there at the resurrection... Uh, I mean, to, to, to watch the exodus happen. I mean, these, these are momentous events. And to see a dude taken up in a chariot in a flaming tornado into the sky, that's got to be one of the top events of things that people have ever seen. And you've got to witness that. 
This is, by the way, this, the origin of our phrase, to take up the mantle. Take up the mantle. And you say, what is a mantle? He's carrying around a piece of the fireplace. No, a mantle was, uh, it was a garment. Uh, it, it probably resembled something like, you know those, those Aussie, the outback, you know, the, the waterproof, big, long leather coat things they were, you know. That's kind of close to what a mantle might look like. Something like that. Uh, and, and so, so there's this overcoat kind of a thing. Right? And uh, so this, he picks it up. And this is the, this is the history of that phrase. And, and it's used to describe taking up the work that someone's left behind. The fact is that, and anyone who's owned a house knows this, that the work is never finished. Work is never finished, I'm finding that out. I knew that was going to be a long time when I bought my house. <clears throat> now, when I was a kid, uh, one of the guys in our church, he built his own house. And uh, it was beautiful. I, I, I spent much of my, my youth in that, in that house. And uh, I remember when he moved into it. And I remember him saying, it's never done. It's like, what do you mean it's never done? You just built it. What can we, I mean, you built it, it's done. And, and, and it should at least, before you need to repair it, it should start running down. It should, you should have some time before you need to do that. No, it's never done. It's freshly built and it's still not done. It's never going to be done. There's always stuff to do. I didn't finish that. We moved in, but that needed to get done. And you know how things are. It's like, oh, yeah, that needs to get done, but it's okay. And then after you're in it and you're working on the stuff that didn't get done, now the stuff that you did starts to decay and starts to fall apart a little bit here, a little bit there, and so you've got to redo the floors and you've got to do this now. Right? And there's always stuff to do. The job, no job, is ever finished. We have to carry on the work. Even Elijah left work to be done. So we want to look at some of the keys at taking up the mantle. As we look in verse 9 and 10, we are going to look at our first key. It says, So it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I can do for you before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, Let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He says, You've asked a very difficult thing. However, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be so. Set lofty goals. Set lofty goals. And we talked a little bit about this. No one goes, I want to be half the person. Set lofty goals. Now I'm not talking about comparing ourselves to other people, but the concept is here of setting lofty goals. Now, double the spirit, I'm not sure what that means. Did he want to be... This is kind of a, a loose phrase because it can mean a couple of different things. Elijah did things by the Holy Spirit. And uh, so, as far as we know, Elijah is the first man in the Old Testament to raise a dead person. I don't know that it happened before. It might have. But that's the first recorded account. So he did miracles by the Holy Spirit. So, so he might mean that, that. That might be the reference. That, that Elijah, or Elisha wanted to do twice the, the miraculous things. He wanted to be known for it. And, and it could be. That's a... That's a one of the likely in, in, uh, you know, interpretations of this because when we read about Elisha, Elisha did a lot of things like this. Really, Elijah didn't do a ton of things when we actually go through and read the stories. Elisha did way more. It could be 
that it referenced his spirit. In other words, the, his emotional, his personality, that he was like just really... Because I mean, when we read, uh, we read even John the Baptist, it was, it was said that he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, right? He was, it was just like this kind of really dominant... When he walked, you know, it's just people that walk into the room and they kind of suck the oxygen out of the room. I mean, they are in the room, and you know they are in the room. There's people that aren't like that. and um, You know, they're just kind of there. And it's not that they're not important, but there's just some people that just, they have that. Whatever that is, they have it. Maybe that's what he wanted. I don't know which of these it means, but I want you to dream of being great. We do not want to settle for being half of what the people were who came before us. Because if you're good at math and we continue that, then we can see what the church is going to be. Right? I mean, that's the concept of being... That's that's called a half-life. We take a half-life and we can determine what things were and how long they were. Right? We we do a half-life. We say, well, it degenerates by this much with each successive you know, generation of it, well, you know that there's an end coming or a virtual end coming. We can't be half of what the people came before us were. We have to be more. And it's not because they weren't great. They should have been greater than the ones who came before them. This is a, the concept of building, the concept of, of achieving, is that we want to build on the successes of those who came before us. That they were a foundation for us. They were built on a previous foundation. And this is all building up. Have twice the spirit. That is, have twice the works, but have twice the passion. There is a passion in youth. As we get older, we lose the energy we had. Right? We, we just naturally lose the energy to do some of the things that we did when we were kids. It's like, oh my goodness, I don't feel like doing that. I, I don't even... I don't feel like getting up for that thing. I mean, uh, we don't have the same energy. It is not natural for us to expect... Those who are older. There are talents and there are great things about the older generation. But we should not expect them to be the ones that drive the energy, the passion. That belongs to a younger generation. It is the younger people that should drive movement. It is up to the older ones to guide it through wisdom and through experience. But it is up to the younger ones to be the energy and the passion and the drive. Have twice the spirit. That's the first key. I want you to look at the second key. Put the past in perspective. The past has a perspective and there's two parts of it and they're going to seem opposite. First of all, you can look to the past for inspiration. He says, I want to be twice what you were. He looked to Elijah as an example of greatness. He recognized the greatness that was. He didn't sit there and say, you know what, I've been thinking about 
all the things. I've been here with Elijah for however many years, and I've followed him around, and this guy just does not do things right. I'm so, uh, this guy, I can't wait till he's out of the way and I can do what I want. He looked to the past for inspiration. I want to be twice the man that you are. Allow yourself to see the best, that it offers great encouragement, great examples to achieve. And I'm not just talking about distant past of Bible stories and great men in the Bible, but I'm talking about people in this room. Look to the things that they have done and look to the things that they have overcome. And I'm going to tell you that you're probably like, I don't know what they did. Well, that's possibly because we have not really invested in one another. Do you know what they've accomplished? Do you know where they've been? Have you been involved with the other people in this room? Look to the past for some inspiration and see the best. Then, I'm going to say this is going to sound opposite. Verse 16. So they said to him, Look now, here are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. Maybe he's throwing them on the mountain, some valley. And he said, You don't need to send anybody. The second thing I'm going to tell you is to get over the past. Look to it for inspiration and then get over it. What do I mean by that? How can you do both? Here's what I mean. You need to get past the past. Elijah is not walking through that door. It's basically what Elisha told him. Listen, we need to go find Elijah. Maybe, maybe God threw him down. Maybe he's out there somewhere and he needs us. Elijah's gone. You don't need to go look for him. He's not coming back. We have what we have now. Elijah is not coming through that door. But they could not get over it. They couldn't get over it. So he's like, all right, whatever. And you can almost feel the discouragement when they come back and couldn't find him. And the discouragement comes when people get so caught up in the past and, and, and their preconceived ideas of what should be are all about what was. And they can't get over it. The greats aren't coming back. Your heroes aren't coming back and they ain't getting younger. Those who did great things belong to their era. Every era needs greats. Every era needs the people who will define it for other people. So you need to get past the past and, and to say, okay, those were the things that they did and I can be encouraged, but I live here now. And we live in Waukesha now. And it is time for us to be the people that other people in the future will draw upon for inspiration. As long as I hold on to the past, I cannot reach for the things that are in front of me. Now, having said that, we need to look at verse 17 and 18. They urged him until he was ashamed, and he said, All right, go look. So they sent 50 men, and they searched for three days and didn't find him. Then they came back and said, uh, because he had stayed there in, Jerusalem, in Jericho. He said, didn't I tell you not to go? Didn't I tell you not to go? But he let them go. And this is the, the thing about putting the past in perspective, is, is that we do have to have patience. Now, Elisha got a little upset with them because they were still clinging to the past, but he understood it. And said, okay, go. 
You see, the past, and he understood this, the past can be an instrument to paralyze us where we are, as I just spoke about. But we still do need to understand human nature and understand that letting go of the past is difficult. And he's like, okay, these people are only going to let go of the past when they've exhausted the past. Go look for them. And we do need to understand, especially those of us who are older, that, that those who are younger, with all of their passion, sometimes need some patience. That this thing is a process. And they will become the heroes, and they will become the greats through a process. The third key. We've talked about setting lofty goals and, and putting the past in perspective And the third thing we want to look at is verse 13 and 14. He took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah and struck the water. So where is the God of Elijah when he struck it? It was divided this way and that way, and Elijah crossed over. In taking up the mantle, we actually have to take up the mantle. It's not just a metaphor. It's not a trite saying. Action is required of us. Is there something that needs to be done? What can I do? Understand. Look at, look at verse 15. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to him and bowed to the ground in front of him. Understand that people are watching. People are watching. You have to take up the mantle. You have to do something. It has come to you. It's fallen. It's sitting there and saying, There's work to be done. And people are watching to see what we will do with the mantle. So take it up. Volunteer. Be available for action because people are watching. Look at the work left around us. There's work to be done. And so here's the thing. You pick it up. He picked it up. But there's one more part of taking up of the mantle. And that is that you have to do something with it. And so he begins and he, he, he sees the people watching him from the other side. Is he just going to carry it around? Or is he going to do something with it? And so he's, we're going to start off with a bang here. And he, and he slaps that. They're looking and wondering, is, this, is the spirit of Elijah on him? Is he really going to be the one to lead us into the next generation of this? And he, he slaps that water, divides it, the water from... This is now the third time that we've read this in the Bible. And, and walks across. And they go, yeah, all right. Looks like he's the guy. You take up the mantle, but it's not just good enough to take up the mantle. It's not just good enough to have the business meetings and the planning meetings and the goal-setting meetings and all the meetings. But you actually have to do something with the mantle. Action is required. Because people are watching. Look at the work that is left. I know there's work to be done. You know how? I know. Because there are always complaints about things. That's how I know. We complain about the things the way they've been done or not done. We complain about the things that are undone and what should be done. And there's always complaints. You know what a complaint, a list of complaints says? You know what it is. Be careful the next time you complain. Because a list of complaints is none other than a to-do list. That's what it is. I don't like the way it's doing. Good. Do it. Do it the right way. 
Step up. That sounds like you just volunteered for a job. For things to get done, there are requirements. There are personal sacrifices, time, materials, investments, emotions. That's why they call it investing in the future, because it requires an investment of all different types of investments. As we leave here today, I want to know if you're invested. Have you taken up the mantle? Do you have goals? Do you have things you want to achieve? Do you have things that you think this church needs to be? Or personal goals, things that you want to achieve personally as a, as a Christian. Have some goals, set some goals. And strive to build upon the people who have influenced you. To look at them for inspiration, but, but say, I'm, I'm going to be greater. You see, when they sit there, when they sit there, and they look at the people who they've invested in, no one ever sits there and goes, I hope they're half the person I was. I hope they're half the man I was. Understand that, that every person who has invested in you wants you to be greater than they were. So go out. Leave here today and take up the mantle.